This is a message for those that work in manufacturing across the UK and Ireland. Do your engineering maintenance stores keep you awake at night? Are your engineers spending excessive time sourcing and finding the spare parts they need? Eric's on-site teams take responsibility for your indirect supply chain, including both your MRO procurement and inventory control. And, as the name suggests, we do this while being based on your site. For more information, visit www.erics.co.uk forward slash em. How can solar power developers spot issues in a newly installed panel, unveiling hidden glitches like faulty connections? I built a custom drone with a GoPro camera and a very early incarnation of a thermal camera at that time, and we started experimenting. Dikes and levees protect communities against the increasing risk of flood. But how can engineers ensure that they remain strong without using and transporting more material than is needed? The reconstruction of uh, dikes and levees, uh, specifically in the Netherlands, is, uh, is, 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 is a situation which is going on for more than a thousand years. Can buildings be moved and reused with sustainable materials? The modules themselves were then clad in timber, timber referencing the history of timber trade in Canada water, but also being probably one of the most sustainable alternatives to traditional overcladding metals, plastics, and or cementitious products or bricks. How in crowded cities can space be made for local farming? So if we can put up one of our growth towers pretty much anywhere in the world. It can be in a rural environment, it can be in an urban environment, we can put them onto brownfield sites, they can be retrofitted into existing structures like warehouses, for example. Welcome to Engineering Matters. I'm Johnny Dowling. And I'm Rian Owen. This is one of 12 episodes originally aired between the 5th and 17th of February 2024, presenting the shortlisted entries for the Engineering Matters Awards. In this episode, we're looking at the shortlisted entries in the Sustainability Champion Award category. The Engineering Matters Sustainability Champion Awards recognises those playing a significant role in reducing waste or in recycling or reusing materials. This is one of two episodes on sustainability. Above Surveying was shortlisted for its thermographic solar panel inspection technology. Fugro was shortlisted for their usage of dikes on tidal sands. Hawkins Brown was shortlisted for their paper yard science building. Intelligent Growth Solutions were shortlisted for its vertical farming technology. Founded in 2016, Above has worked on over 2,500 solar assets and supports customers on an international scale, working with many of the world's leading solar energy companies. My name is Will Hitchcock. I'm the founder and CEO of Above. And I set up Above eight years ago, having worked for a couple of years in the UK solar boom running an EPC. 
and the the idea for the services that Above Now delivers stemmed from my experience building utility scale solar at that time. Above pioneered the use of aerial thermography solar inspections and can detect thermal anomalies in solar PV modules down to a cellular level. I started experimenting with aerial thermography back in late 2015 when some of the assets being built in the UK were bigger than anything else being built in Europe at that time. Thermography is a thing that you use to assess the, the health of a module. But obviously, as the tables were getting bigger and the assets were getting bigger, doing it by hand becomes logistically challenging and almost non-viable. So I, I built a custom drone with a GoPro camera and a very early incarnation of a thermal camera um, at that time. And we started experimenting and it was very obvious very quickly that what we could see with thermography was of value to the industry. It was at a time when it wasn't a service, so people didn't have budgets for it. Um, and so to get the service sort of catalyzed in the industry, I was offering like one megawatt free inspections to some of the big funds in London to show them what the thermography could, could see and what they didn't know, the unknown unknowns. And um, from that point on, it's become a, a mainstay of the, of the industry in terms of assessing the health of a, of a module and the, and the um, module population across an entire asset. Essentially, thermography, for those of you who don't understand, a hot cell or a hot module or a hot string of modules indicates losses in the array and something that needs rectification. So hot spots, hot modules, hot substrings, hot strings are all um, indicators of, of, of performance loss and yield loss. The reconstruction of uh, dikes and levees, uh, specifically in the Netherlands, is, uh, is, 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 is a situation which is going on for more than a thousand years. So we're doing this already for a long time. But the difficulty in the Netherlands is that we have a, a, a lot of people living in a very small area. So a lot of areas we see that a lot of houses are built, constructed near to the, near to the dike and levees. And because of sea level rise, we see that the water levels are rising and they're rising significantly. And this is also uh, going a lot faster than we had been expected. So this is a, 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 yeah, a big intervention we, we have to take for this. That was Leo Zwang, the commercial director of water at Fugro. The Netherlands has a long history of managing water in low-lying areas. Dutch engineers even brought this expertise to other countries, including England. But climate change adds risk and urgency to levee construction. The materials used to build levees come with their own environmental costs. Extracting them has impacts on the landscape and biodiversity. Every tonne of material transported will use more energy and typically emit more greenhouse gases. To build strong levees without wasting materials, engineers must have a more precise understanding of how they fail. 
for, for levy reconstruction, we take into account several failure mechanisms. Most of them are related to, uh, to geotechnics. So that's why Fubro has a, a good position in this. And one, one of the most difficult ones is piping. Piping is a situation that's because of flow of water underneath a, a levee, we see that material is eroded. And this is eroded at a very specific location. And as a result of this, uh, such like a pipe is growing. So there, there's, there's some space is created underneath the dike. And this pipe is growing underneath under the dike. And there, at the end, a connection is created between the outer water and the polder inside. And this is really dangerous because then you get a large flow of water and also the dike itself will collapse. So the crest will go down. And at the end, the, the dike is overflowed. Fugro and its partner, Deltares, wanted to see if they could use less materials by building levees using tidal sands rather than those taken from the river. We, we already had the, the, the feeling that tidal sands were a lot more reluctant to, to piping effects than sands in the river area. But there was no design rule for this. So it was needed to have a full-scale test to see what's happening during such an erosion process. And based on those tests, we were able to see that it was indeed a lot more uh, safe than the river sands. Uh, we see that the tidal sands have a, some kind of layering so you have sand, some kind of sludge sand, and this is really small layers, these are. And this is having a positive effect on the erosion. Fugro and Altaris worked with the Dutch Water Authority to build a dike with the material and to test how it would fail. Uh, the, the design of this test took quite some time because it's not very easy to breach a dike, although it's not easy to be sure that a dike is safe, but just creating a situation that a dike will breach is even difficult, even more difficult. So our team prepared a design of this dike, this test dike, uh, with uh, the Institute Del Vares and also a Water Authority and the Dutch Ministry. And in this test, they put a lot of sensors. And uh, during the test, which took several weeks, yeah, they were loading this dike. And uh, at the end, yeah, the, 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 the erosion took place and there was a piping effect. At, at the level as we predicted, yeah, but you're never sure in those tests. You, you, you really want to be sure that the, that the, the breaching takes place. Otherwise, you're not sure what your safety is in those uh, tests. By building a dike and testing it to failure, Fugro and Daltaris had a better idea of how to build them safely and efficiently. The insights from this testing can now be used around the world. This will significantly reduce material use. As a result, we, we are able to limit the number of levy reconstructions. So uh, the best way is in case you don't have to reconstruct a levy. So the number of levees which not have to be reconstructed, we think it's about 160 kilometers in the Netherlands. 
So that's a lot. We we're talking about millions of tons of clay and sand materials. So at the end, it's a very sustainable test. We're limiting the use of materials and energy and transportation. My name is Andrew Tyndale. I am an architect and associate at Hawkins Brown in London. Um, I've been working with them for the last 11 years on sort of a range of projects across different sectors, from workplace to housing to education projects, and now life sciences. The paper yard project was designed by Hawkins Brown. It's a modular building complex for research, education, work and the community, located in London's Canada Water District. This is the first Hawkins Brown fully volumetric project. We worked with Premier Modular to take their um, off-the-shelf products, so their products which typically were used for site accommodation. They are 3 meter by 12 meter modules. Um, we customize them and stack them to create something of architectural merit and actually something very interesting compared to what you typically associate with um, site accommodation. The, the modules themselves were um, all pre-loved, so they've all come off of another project. They've been recycled. They'll spend 10 years in Canada Water and the opportunity for them to go back into the Premier Modular Factory or be relocated is, is part of a, a wider circular economy story that um, we have embedded within this project. We've used this project to test ideas for ourselves for Hawkins Brown, working with the standard product, customizing it, see how far we can customize it to create architectural quality. The modules themselves were then clad in timber, timber referencing the history of timber trade in Canada Water, but also being probably one of the most sustainable alternatives to sort of um, traditional overcladding metals, plastics, and or cementitious products or bricks. Given the relatively short lifespan, I think this was a, a genuine um, sort of project driver for us um, to make sure it's as sustainable as possible and also embedded as much circular economy um, and ability for elements or components to be reused at a later date. Built using prefabricated 3D models, the paper yard offers incredible flexibility. The project prioritizes sustainability through its design and construction. Recycled materials are used extensively and the modularity allows for efficient resource utilization. Additionally, the building boasts energy saving features and a focus on natural light penetration, minimizing its environmental impact. I mean, for me, the project isn't about winning loads of awards. I think the project's about again being able to have an element of freedom to to do something creative with within the bounds of the site the constraints of the system test ideas around circular economy sustainability um ultimately provide a place that is visually appealing for the community and people for people to work um, and be proud to work there
I am Georgia Lee. I am Head of Communications at Intelligent Growth Solutions. We are a vertical farming technology provider. So we make and design um, vertical farming solutions for growers. Our customers are growers across the world. We ourselves as a business don't actually um, grow commercially. We sell our technology and it enables growers to have the perfect conditions for growth each and every day. They can replicate the ideal conditions for any crop that they wish to grow in a six, nine or 12 meter tower, six, nine or 12 meter high tower, which we call growth towers. Intelligent growth solutions approach brings precision to farming in areas where land is not available. So it's a completely controlled environment. So growers use software systems to take precision control of every element of that growing environment. So that's everything from the amount and type of light that a crop receives to the airflow, the nutrition, the watering, um, and all that is del delivered by software recipes. So you get a guaranteed result time and time again. You have um, higher yields, you have a repeatably reliable, high quality produce at the end. And it's not just um, edible produce either that we, we can grow. So we're, we're looking at all sorts of different um, crops, both for growing from the full kind of seed to harvest within a growth tower, as well as working in complement to traditional forms of agricultural growing. So um, things like growing seedlings um, and whether that's for um, edible crops like tomatoes or strawberries um, or broccoli or for non-edible crops like tree seedlings for reforestation projects or for pharmaceutical purposes or even things like fragrance or flavorings. Traditional agriculture involves growing crops in open fields where plants are exposed to natural elements like sunlight, wind and rain. This method is suitable for a wide range of crops and allows for large-scale cultivation. Greenhouses, on the other hand, provide a controlled environment, protecting plants from extreme weather conditions and pests. But they come with increased energy costs. Open fields is becoming harder and harder for farmers. It rains more, we've got more extreme weather conditions, or it rains less through the summer. We're getting more and more of these kind of once in a generation, or previously once in a generation style weather events that are now becoming much more frequent. So. The summers where you have these kind of long, hot, dry periods are becoming more and more frequent. Equally, through the winters, we're getting more and more unpredictable weather. That means that farmers have a much harder time producing crops. Um, they're struggling to have them producing the same yields, the same qualities at the end. But it's also just entirely unpredictable. So they don't really know what outcomes they're going to get. Ditto greenhouses. Greenhouses are really, really difficult to keep hot during the winter and cold during the summer. They require an awful lot of energy and most of that is delivered using gas boilers. Gas prices have obviously rocketed with the conflict in Ukraine. Um, so that's been a massive impact on industries like that. Um, so, so those kind of things have come together. Vertical farming offers flexibility in location reducing food miles and allowing for cultivation in diverse environments. The goal is not to replace traditional agriculture, but to work symbiotically, enhancing efficiency, supporting farmers in diversification, and minimising the environmental impact associated with long-distance transportation. So if we can 
put up one of our growth towers pretty much anywhere in the world. It can be in a rural environment, it can be in an urban environment, we can put them onto brownfield sites, they can be retrofitted into existing structures like warehouses, for example. So you can pretty much grow anywhere you desire, which allows you to collapse those food miles and replace imports or replace crops that would traditionally be imported rather than competing directly with agriculture in that specific region. So what we envisage vertical farming as is a very kind of closely symbiotic relationship with traditional agriculture where we can help complement it, increase the efficiency of traditional agriculture and support farmers as they're trying to diversify and guarantee their income streams. The entrants we've looked at today are all playing an important role in creating sustainability within the engineering industry. Their work will be celebrated at the Engineering Matters Award Ceremony in London at the end of March. Engineering Matters is a production of Rebe Media. This episode was written and produced by Kiri Nathan and hosted by me, Johnny Dowling, and by Rian Owen. Editing by Will North, series supervision by John Young, sound engineering by Ross McPherson, and our own man who judges all that we do is Rory Harris. Thank you for listening. You can find us on all podcast apps, on our website, engineeringmatters.reby.media, and on LinkedIn. <laughs>